eating disorders are treatable and that you're recognizing that something seems a bit off. It probably is off and you should trust your gut. I would say that you shouldn't feel ashamed and you shouldn't blame yourself for these thoughts that are happening or these changes in behaviors. What you're going through is going to be temporary and that you can recover and bounce back from it. This is the Learn With Lels podcast. I'm Caitlin Jinko, also known as Lels. I believe that lifelong learning is so important. It allows us to keep improving ourselves and the world around us. And what better way to do that than to hear stories from people of all different walks of life. On the Learn With Lels podcast, I speak with people whom I think the world needs to hear from and with people whom I just think are interesting. We talk about their lives and the lessons they've been learning along the way. I'm very grateful that you've taken the time to listen. I hope you enjoy and that you keep on learning. Hi, everybody, and thank you for listening to episode 43 of the Learn With Lyle's podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Chloe Grande, an eating disorder awareness blogger and my friend from Western University. In our conversation, Chloe and I talked about her experience dealing with an eating disorder and what's helped her on her journey to recovery, her advice on how to talk to someone about their eating disorder, diet culture and how it impacts basically everyone, and why she started an eating disorder recovery blog and how she hopes it will help people. When I met Chloe five years ago, we were both overachievers who struggled with perfectionism. I'm sure we still have some of those same tendencies today, but we've both come a long way, and back then I never would have thought we'd one day be talking so openly about our mental health and eating struggles. We've both realized the power that comes with vulnerability, and I hope you feel and enjoy that in our conversation. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to follow Chloe on social media and check out her blog, chloegrande.com. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Um, For our listeners, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course, podcast I've been on besides creating our own podcast in our (laughs) journalism class. Uh, I'm Chloe, Chloe Grande, and Caitlin and I went to Western together for our master's, our master's in journalism and communications. Um, So I'm currently working in communications and I've recently started um, a mental health blog on eating disorder recovery. So that's what's brought me to our chat today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as you were saying, I wanted to have you on um, because you're my friend and also, yeah, after seeing like everything that you've been posting on social media about eating disorder recovery, I just thought that was so brave of you to do. And um, I feel like I've definitely had like a difficult relationship with food over the years. So I figured it would just be great to talk with you about our experiences and recovery and all the work that you've been doing. Um, And yeah. Um, But I feel like mental health and like eating disorders can be difficult to talk about. So if I ever am like asking too much or sounding like insensitive or anything, just tell me. (laughs) Oh, no, of course. Um, Thanks for asking that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's resonated with me is that like saying nothing is almost worse than saying the wrong thing. 
just in my personal experience, because mm-hmm. I think you can, you can like worry about saying the wrong thing. I think a lot of people might shut down and just like never bring up the topic. Um, so I appreciate yeah. you like wanting to have this open conversation with me. Mm-hmm, for sure. So have that, have you encountered that a lot? Like people just like not wanting to say anything? Mm, it's interesting because um, like obviously my blog is online. I don't know why I said it. <laughs> obviously the blog it's online (laughs) and it's also COVID so I'm not really seeing anyone in person so I'll find that people will like comment and show support but then if we're having like a separate conversation or something else they'll like never come up and I don't want to say like they're avoiding bringing it up but maybe they just like don't feel comfortable talking about it yeah Um, so I almost feel like it's kind of like a siloed conversation it's like oh good for you for doing this but at the same time like kind of keep it to yourself and don't tell us too much. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. I feel like people maybe think like when you're like typing, you can think about things a little bit more and like you're not really put on the spot. Whereas like if you have a conversation, it could be like a little more nerve wracking, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's different now. And I've also tried to be the one to like bring it up because I realize it can be like uncomfortable for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, I'm trying to reciprocate it, too, because, I mean, I'm, I don't want to seem like everyone has a mental health thing going on. But I think a lot of people, especially right now, maybe aren't in the best states of mind. So I'm, like, trying to be a bit more, bit more mindful and just asking, like, oh, how are you really doing? Like, how are you feeling? Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So if you're comfortable, do you mind sharing your experience with having an eating disorder a little bit? Like, maybe you could go back to the beginning, like with your diagnosis and kind of maybe what led you to that point? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I was 15 years old when I was first diagnosed. However, like what I like to say is that I had no idea I had an eating disorder and like no, no idea. Like the diagnosis came to total shock for me. And I think that just goes to show like how powerful eating disorders can be. Like they completely change your reality and you like can't even see yourself clearly. Like you can't see your actions clearly. In my head, I thought I was like the healthiest I'd ever been because I was in my mind, like eating very healthy and making all the right choices. Um, So fortunately for me, it was actually my gymnastics coaches that were the ones that pulled me aside to intervene. They just noticed like my energy wasn't as good as it usually was. And then my clothes was fitting a bit looser. So um, I think at first there was so much denial And yeah, I really didn't want to believe anything was wrong for me with me. Um, But fortunately, yes, at the time, unfortunately, I was really upset, but it led to going to see a doctor and then a referral to McMaster's Children's Hospital. So because I was under 16, that's kind of why I was at the Children's Hospital. So Mm -hmm. it's um, an outpatient family based program, I think, which is so important because um, like eating disorders can be so isolating and like none of my friends knew. So my family was, and my doctors were kind of all the supports I had and we would just go back and we'd have, um, like one-on-one therapy where I would just talk with, um, the therapist and like the nutritionist and go for my weigh-ins and everything. And then they would bring the whole family together. So we could talk about like what was going well, what wasn't going well. Um, and that was helpful because it helped me see the impacts like, not on myself, but just on like the family structure itself and how my actions were affecting others. And I think it actually 
made me want to get better just being in that family environment. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that uh, like your gymnastics coaches were the ones who brought it up because I feel like you hear a lot of like horror stories of like, like gymnastics coaches, like making you like be super strict with your diet. So it's interesting that it was like the opposite with you. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think sports like gymnastics, figure skating, wrestling, like a lot of like individual sports where it's like there's a focus on appearance or weight. Yeah, they all get such a bad rep. But um, I like to think that most coaches are there to look out for the health and safety of especially children. Um, So it's it's actually kind of sweet. One of my coaches is friends with me on Facebook and he like recently commented on one of my blog posts and it just like warmed my heart because I just thought, you know, he probably didn't remember who I was, but he actually played such a huge role in my recovery. So I definitely have them to thank. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Was your family surprised by the diagnosis? Yeah, that's the thing because even the people who are closest to me, like they didn't even know something was going on. I think um, at the time, maybe my mom's friends were saying some things to her that, you know, I was acting a bit differently or, or like my eating habits had changed, but I feel like that's like, what's so sneaky about eating disorders is like, they're very easy to hide in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, it was like, you thought that you were eating healthily. Like it wasn't like you were like going out of your way to like eat less or do anything like that. Like you were trying to be healthier in, in your mind? Yeah, in my mind, that's what I thought it was. But I think in reality, it was like a lot of restricting. Um, I like eating smaller meals. And I think what happens a lot with eating disorders too is, and this is something I was taught in therapy is, so there's like yourself and then there's the eating disorder and it's like a separate entity. So it's like, they almost call it a voice. So it's a way to differentiate yourself from the illness and what they'll say is like the eating disorder voice will like tell you to do certain things so like a lot of the times there's a lot of rules around food like what you can and can't eat um like when you can eat when you can't eat um and it makes it really hard to socialize with people too like especially when you're in high school and like everything's um is around food like pizza there's not really much to do right you're in high school so you just Mm -hmm. go for food with your friends um I think that was really difficult because I was, uh, it affected my mood, just like feeling so lonely. Mm -hmm. And your friends didn't know? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. No, because a lot of them didn't know until I was in university. So the way it worked for me, like my recovery journey is very much a bumpy one, like lots of ups and downs, but I think that's pretty normal with eating disorders. Um, and I find that they can also just like morph and, and change a lot. So like, even though my initial diagnosis was anorexia, um, I've definitely experienced like binge eating disorder. Um, I think there might've been a bit of orthorexia, which is like a focus on only eating like healthy food or clean food. Um, yeah. So I think it can take like a lot of different shapes and sizes, but so even though I was doing really well in the recovery in high school, Basically, as soon as I left and moved away to university, I relapsed. And looking back, I think that could have been expected because it was such a big change in my life and just being alone. Um, The university I was at too, they had like caloric content information for every single morsel of food. And they also had it online, which was horrible because I could literally like go and plan my meals. So not good for eating disorder behavior, but 
again, I was able to find some resources. I, I was in Kingston at the time. Um, so eating disorders, I think, are pretty prevalent around a university population. Um, so they had programs I could go to. But I think anytime there is a major life change, my kind of gut instinct is to like go back to those eating disorder habits because it's familiar and comfortable mm-hmm. when I'm going through like a challenging time and have trouble maybe like processing the external stuff. So I internalize it. Do you think that there was anything that like uh, led you to developing an eating disorder? Like were there like personality traits or like environment or culture, like a mix of things? Like, what do you think kind of led you to developing an eating disorder? Yeah, it's hard to say because I think you hit the nail on the head when you said mix of things. Um, A lot of times I think people want to like point out and say, oh, it's the media, it's social media. It's because you're seeing all these images of young girls, but like, I didn't even have social media at the time. We didn't even have television. So I just read books. Like (laughs) I wasn't overly exposed to all these like super saturated media images. Um, For me, I think it's just a mix of like um, mental illness history within the family. I think at the time when the eating disorder started to get bad, there was a family death. So there's a lot of like external stressors, I think that can affect eating disorder. And then just personality traits, like I was a high achieving perfectionist. So I was really, really hard on myself. You're nodding. I feel like yeah, so eating is just like a way of uh, having some control over your life when you feel like other things aren't in control. And I think it can sort of spiral from there when you have like a bit more of an obsessive personality, you can take things maybe a little bit further than um, healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely relate to like the overachieving trait, which it's interesting. Like when I look at my group of friends, like Mm -hmm. some of my girlfriends who've had like kind of similar struggles with eating, like I feel like that kind of perfectionist, like overachieving, like straight A kind of personality, like we all kind of had that in common. Did Mm -hmm. you and your friends, like, did you know at the time or is it kind of like me where you only found out later? Um, I feel like I'm thinking about my one friend and like it, like I definitely noticed it in her, but I don't think that she realized it in herself until later on. Um, Mm -hmm. but for me, I was like, I don't know. I was just kind of like weird. Like I, I was like, this is not right, but I can't control it. Like every day, like I would be like, okay, Caitlin, you're gonna eat perfectly. And like, I would just eat like fruits and vegetables all day and like thinking, Oh, I'm so healthy. But then at like eight o'clock at night, I would be like, Oh my God, I can't handle this. And then I would just eat everything in sight and I feel like shit after. And then I did that every day for like many, many years. Oh, that's so hard. I can, I can really relate. And that's binging. I feel you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's one of the worst feelings in the world. Like you just feel so absolutely out of control and like, so mad and angry at yourself Mm -hmm. yeah a hundred percent every single night I was like I'm the most disgusting person ever and then you just like start that cycle again the next day exactly exactly Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see like a lot more people talk about binge eating disorder too I think it's like Mm -hmm. really really common um yeah with men and, and women um there seems to be like less of a split 
because I think some eating disorders, I think eating disorders in general too, get um, a rep for being like, you're blonde and affluent and thin. Mm -hmm. That's what an eating disorder looks like. Um, And I think we're starting to realize more and more that that's not like you can't judge someone's body shape at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so, so true. Mm -hmm. I feel like, like people may not, yeah, have like what you would think to be like the typical kind of eating disorder, but so many people have like disordered eating, if that makes sense. hundred percent. Like I can think of like so many people just, yeah, just like our culture, the way that we look at food. Oh, hundred percent. I remember having this thought one time where it's like, everyone has an eating disorder. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I felt like it was so hard to recover because like almost every conversation, especially with women, I want to say was around food or is like what you're eating or like what you're exercising or how you looked. So Mm -hmm. like sometimes it felt like it was really like hard to escape diet culture and maybe Mm -hmm. there's more of awareness of that now. Cause like, I didn't even know diet culture was a thing growing up. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's so like ingrained, I feel like in all of us, like, Oh, if I have a chocolate bar, it's like, I'm supposed to feel like shit about it. Like, yeah, 100%. But we shouldn't. <laughs> we shouldn't. There's like morality with food, like what's good and bad. And then you associate that to someone's personality or character, mm-hmm. which I think is like where the eating disorder lens starts to come in because it's like, whoa, 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 slow down. And I learned about this a lot through therapy. I did a lot of um, CBT, which is like cognitive behavioral therapy, which like works at changing the way you think. Um, and so one thing a lot of therapists talked about is black and white thinking. And that comes up so much in eating disorders where it's like sugar is bad. So mm-hmm. sugar, or maybe even like with you, like vegetables and fruits are okay. So just yeah. another way to label food. And it's very time consuming too. I feel like it just takes up so much mental energy. It could be really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. It's so tiring. Yeah. But yeah, it's so true about the black and white eating. I feel like everything is like yeah, either like that's a good thing to eat or a bad thing to eat, but like they don't deserve these labels. <laughs> we should be able to eat everything. We should. And I've learned to my one of my most recent therapists, um, I was kind of explaining these cycles of binging and restricting. And the best advice that she gave me was once you start eating at like regular intervals, then that all goes away because you're only binging because your body is restricting. So even though I might not think I'm restricting, I'm still, there's some part of me that's ignoring my body cues. So that's like one thing that's really, really helped me um, start to normalize my eating patterns a bit more. Mm -hmm. So sorry, like eating at more regular intervals. Right, right. So um, for example, for me, that's having breakfast and a snack, then lunch um, and a snack and dinner and sometimes a snack afterwards. Whereas in the past, I would rely on my uh, stomach cues, which isn't really accurate. And I think I was going beyond the point of hunger. Mm -hmm. Just kind of reframe things and said, you know, maybe your body's not the best um, indicator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I have been kind of the opposite. Mm. I guess everyone's journey is different, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like 
at least in the past few years, like for me, I've been just trying to be like, okay, like I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat where, but like, if I'm not hungry, then I won't eat, if that makes sense. I don't know. I've just been listening to my body more rather than my mind, because my mind tells me just eat vegetables, if that makes sense. Oh, I totally understand. It almost sounds more like you're talking about intuitive eating and like, mm-hmm. so I think maybe um, in my sense, it was more about, um, I had to go back to like weight restoration. So I was at a point where my body like wasn't at a healthy place. And so I had to like, let it become normal. And then once I was at that normal point, then I'm now a bit more flexible. So I don't like constantly have to eat a snack. Like I don't have to wake up at 11 a.m. eat a snack and then have lunch at noon so just like having a bit more flexibility mm-hmm. yeah um I was reading your blog and I saw in one of the posts uh you wrote spontaneous meals don't exist can you talk about that a little bit I feel like I can relate to that big time <laughs> I think I was talking about my experience when I was younger and like making plans with friends yes yeah uh, yeah yeah So what I meant by that is um, I think a lot of my issues around food, there was a a great deal of control. And so like the example for being in university and looking at the menus ahead of time, um, it was like that for probably everything. So everything I needed to research in advance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it would give me a great deal of anxiety if someone sprung something on last minute or changed where we were going. And it was like, oh my God, then I won't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I so relate to that, which really sucks because it's like you're not able to be like spontaneous at all. Yeah. Try new things. Like you have to be so planned out. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Just going back to the whole idea of it being like very um, mentally draining to always think about food, always think about like have this like mental tally going of like what you've already had to eat in the next day, what you're planning to eat the next day. It's just, it's crazy. It takes you out of the moment. You're constantly like living in this future past self. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Do you think that you've been able to um, become like a little bit more flexible with your eating? I think so. Um, My therapist has also really helped me challenge some of those black and white ways of thinking. So for example, in my head, I thought it was really bad to eat late. So for example, I would rather have dinner at 4.30 than <laughs> eat past 6 p.m. Right now, I think it sounds um, like that seems like a red flag. But I think when I was in the midst of my eating disorder, that just seemed like something that was the right thing to do. So she's challenged me to, you know, eat and eat dinner at 9 p.m. And then what happens? Nothing. Literally nothing happens. Like you wake up and you have breakfast the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, And even what else? Um, I used to get really anxious about grocery shopping. And when I was talking to her about this, I was expecting her to say, it's not a big deal. You should just kind of suck it up and deal with it because everyone goes grocery shopping and you're not special. And that's life. (laughs) But she actually had a really interesting suggestion. So she said, why don't you switch it up? Like, why don't you go to a different store? Like, why don't you try HelloFresh or one of those meal kits? Why don't you try new recipes? Um, so she really just challenged me on those thoughts and made me look at ways with a bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. And that's been helpful? For sure, for sure. 
yeah, again, things are weird right now because the pandemic. Um, and I think I'm probably not alone in the sense that I had a bit of a relapse last year, just because of the stress of the pandemic and being alone and all those kind of factors, um, confounded too. So she's really helped me get back on the right track and just in a better state of mind. Yeah. That's good to hear. Mm. Throughout like your whole journey of having an eating disorder, what kinds of things have helped you to, to manage it? Therapy for sure. Um, depending on the right therapist, I've also had not so great experiences and I recognize as well that therapy does come with a, um, with some privilege. It's expensive. It's, um, not easily accessible to everyone. So when I've been able to access a therapist, it's been amazing. Um, I remember times just in university where it wasn't even something that I could justify paying money for. So I would go to like a walk-in clinic and I'd see like a therapist who basically had no understanding of eating disorders. And that was almost more harmful I have one experience where I remember he pulled out Canada's food guide and he just pointed at it and it was like, eat this, eat this. And he was like a really older man and it was a dark office. I was so upset. And then he folded it, gave it to me. He's like, so we can't book another appointment because there's a waiting list. Good luck. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What the heck? He was a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. No, his specialty wasn't eating disorders, but this was (laughs) university clinic. Wasn't great. was not great. Um, So yeah, finding the right fit is super important. Mm -hmm. Therapy, I'd say has been amazing. Um, And just like opening up a bit more with people. I think there's so much like shame and secrecy around eating disorders. I'm still like trying to pinpoint what it is exactly because I find people are able to talk a bit more about anxiety and depression um, and maybe just because they're more prevalent in the population. But I find maybe there's a bit of stigma with eating disorders that you bring it on yourself. And it's like not so much seen as a mental illness, but more of a vanity thing. Um, So it's good to see that others have similar issues and that the way we view eating disorders has changed. Um, that there's so many like different nuanced ways of disordered eating, as you mentioned, like there's so many um, ways that people can be suffering right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Why do you think that is like with the pandemic that so many people have been like relapsing with their eating disorders? Great question. I've thought about it a lot and the things I've read to kind of echoed the same thoughts where it's like, you're isolated and eating disorders kind of thrive in isolation because the focus is on you. So I remember I actually did, um, I chatted with some students who are in high school. This is super cool. They're making a documentary on eating disorders and they reached out to me over Instagram and like, they didn't know me. They just found me on Instagram. I think that's like Aww. one of the cool things about social media, but we are just chatting um, and neither of them have a history of eating disorders. But during the pandemic, they commented that, because they were by themselves much more and like looking to the camera and looking to the mirror, they're just like more aware of their body. So I think you just become a bit more Mm self-conscious. And then the other thing is, I think people are just around their phones more and there's just more points of comparison. 
Yeah. And I kind of also, I don't know if you noticed this either, but people are doing like these weird body transformations where it's like before pandemic, during, and then post pandemic, it's like glow up. Like since when is that <laughs> thing? Like this is such a traumatic experience. Yes, this is not glow up time. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a bit shocking to me. Mm-hmm. The isolation, yeah, just spending more time with yourself, um, being separated from friends. You just, I think you turn inwards a lot. And then for me personally, I think there's actually increased anxiety around grocery store shopping because I already hated going to grocery stores. <laughs> Um, and then when they started adding these restrictions about like lining up, it sort of prolonged the experience. So like I can, I couldn't just like run to the store and run out and have it really short turned into this whole like two hour experience, (laughs) um, made me dread it more and then push off doing it. So I think that wasn't helpful to me Mm -hmm. personally. Um, it's really a combination of factors, I think. Yeah. And the pandemic just itself is a very traumatic event. And I think it can trigger different reactions in people and eating is a way to control something mm-hmm. in your life when everything else is spiraling. For sure. And social, yeah, social media is a huge one. It's, it's funny that those girls reached out to you, uh, like in a positive way. Yeah. But then also social media can be like the most negative, toxic thing too. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. I flip back and forth. Like I'll go through periods where I just want to smash my phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then other times it's like, oh, you know, I try to put the onus on myself and follow, you know, like more positive body neutral kind of people or like more therapists, less celebrities. But it's really hard to avoid because even if you just like go to the explore page and I also feel like my phone preys on my insecurities like it knows <laughs> it knows yes. things I don't even know and then I'll be looking like what like mm-hmm. it's, it's so crazy. true it's crazy yeah. yeah everyone who I follow for the most part yeah it's like so much like body positivity stuff lots of therapists but then my explore page is like celebrities like hardcore filters like so many things to compare yourself to and feel like shit (laughs) yes yes I'm glad I'm not the only one because a lot of times I feel like I have like a very extreme emotional reaction to social media where like it'll generally make me upset yeah oh I feel the same for sure (laughs) you are definitely not alone (laughs) yeah yeah, it's hard. What what do you do? I I listen to I've noticed like some days I'll be feeling so good and it's like, oh, those days like I usually started off by listening to Oprah's podcast, her Super Soul Sundays and it's just like all about like nurturing your soul and your spirit. And then like the days where I'm feeling like shit, it's like, oh, like I've been doing so much comparison on Instagram. Yeah. Like I just need to I should just delete it from my phone. <laughs> I I feel that but at the same time because your blog too and your podcast it's on social media right so you get so much positivity Mm -hmm. and I think you are actually like a huge inspiration that's why I started a blog I think I've mentioned that to you before but I always really admired you putting yourself out there and being vulnerable so and the fact that you just sort of persisted and it seemed like this is just an assumption for my part, but um, you seemed like very self-assured and that 
you know, this was something that you wanted to do and you're making positive change in the world. It was just really inspiring to see. Well, thank you. Oh my God, I'm getting so sweaty. (laughs) Um, Thank you. That's so nice to hear. I would say like, sometimes I'm like, oh, so confident, feeling so good. And then like other days I'm just like, I feel like shit, but I feel like when I do feel like shit, I will try to like say it online because I'm sick of all these facades. Yes. (laughs) Some realness, which you are like definitely showing that realness with your blog and everything you're doing too. So Uh, thank you. Yeah. It's not always as positive as one may seem. And I think maybe people like you and I, we come across as having like very upbeat, bubbly personalities. But I think if you dig a bit below the surface, like you can see that we struggle with these like perfectionistic, crazy, ridiculous standards. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Mm-hmm. I feel like one thing too, which I wonder if you relate to like all through like high school and undergrad. And I feel like even grad school, like that hardcore like perfectionist mindset it worked in a lot of ways like like I did well in school like I got good grades and like I did well in like sports and stuff so it like it worked in some way so it's I feel like that makes it harder to let go oh 100% you're you're rewarded for it growing Mm -hmm. up um especially as a girl too I think there's even a higher pressure for us because that's what's expected. Um, and you're, you're praised more for those behaviors. But I think, at least for me, I found that those perfections tendencies, like once I'm in the workplace, it's like no one's giving me a gold star for doing something. I'm not getting graded anymore. And it has mm-hmm. a reverse effect. So mm-hmm. I have to unlearn all those patterns of behaviors. Yeah, me too. I'm like hardcore doing so much unlearning right now. Yes, yes. I love that it's a podcast about learning, but you do unlearning. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I never thought of it like that, but yeah, that is exactly <laughs> what it is. So you talked about this a little bit already um, and gave me a lot of credit more than I feel like I deserve. But what made you decide to actually finally be like, okay, I'm going to start this blog about mm-hmm. eating disorder recovery? It was a combination of factors. Um, I will say that it's been very challenging to get to this point of openness. I think I tried it out for a little bit. So for example, an undergrad, um, I work for the school newspaper. So I wrote an article on eating disorder stigma and I wrote that. And then I kind of just like disappeared. I was like, okay, I'm putting it out there. Like it was a bit overwhelming too, because I was so scared of the reaction. And of course it was very supportive. Like I can't imagine just putting myself in someone else's shoes. Like why would you react negatively to someone else's mm-hmm. challenges and them being open about it? But anyways, to me, it was like the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and then once I did that, I was like, okay, that was so scary. I'm just going to go back to pretending everything is okay. And then I think that Schools are kind of a great outlet because even during our master's, I was able to um, do some projects like around eating disorders and I joined an eating disorder advocacy group. So it's cool to see like this um, sense of community in um, academics where it's like there's already so much pressure to excel and, and perform well. So it kind of counterbalanced all of that. I think though, these past couple of years, I've gone back to retreating and just sort of living my life. 
Um, even though I was kind of in a state of like half recovery where I wasn't fully committed to recovery, but I also wasn't, um, sick enough that, you know, I was in these outpatient treatment programs. The point I think that got to me is that I wish that there had been something like this when I was growing up. I just wish that maybe someone who's younger than me and is kind of unsure whether they have any disorder or how to help someone reads what I'm saying and they can relate to it and they can um, not go down the same route that I did. I think ultimately I just want to prevent suffering from other people. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's so nice. (laughs) I think that's what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It really does mean a lot. Um, I've been so overwhelmed by just not only friends and family, but people who I didn't know. I mean, you never know what someone's going through, but um, even a colleague on LinkedIn who I barely know, but she messaged me and she said her daughter actually went through an eating disorder and she just like applauded me for writing about it. So there's so many people that have been affected in some way. Um, It's Mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah, Like we were saying before, it's so like ingrained in our culture, but hopefully what you're doing is helping to like dismantle this bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think it's hard. You probably face like similar challenges where it's like, it's very vulnerable thing to write about. And I feel like every time you talk about it, you're kind of like exposing a bit of yourself. Mm -hmm. It's different than maybe writing about having a fashion blog or something that's not so focused on you. Mm -hmm. Um, So try not to take things personally. And I'm also trying to make my topics more applicable to not just my own experience, but like mental health of others in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like vulnerability is, I'm thinking about Brene Brown. Do you ever listen to yeah. Brene Brown? <laughs> I love her too. I forget what her quote is, but something about how vulnerability is like courage. Like it's the, it takes so much strength to be vulnerable, even though like our society tells us otherwise, like, no, the scariest things are, like require vulnerability. So absolutely you're brave is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, Brene, I think like people like that, I think every time you see someone that's putting themselves out there, um, whether it's I'm trying to think of some other examples, I think the ones that click hit closest to home are people like you who just started their own blogs or just started doing things just because they wanted to do them and not so much because of societal pressures. Um, we're in our mid twenties, right? So we go through this weird period of I'm speaking generally, but a lot of people I know go through kind of this weird transition. It's like, what am I doing with my life? Is it meaningful? So mm-hmm. I think <laughs> blogging is one way to make some sort of meeting out of your life. Yeah. Definitely. I love like reading back to on old vlogs and it's like, oh, that's what I was going through. Or if I'm like feeling a certain kind of way, it's nice to like read back to like when I was like more confident about the topic and like rereading. It's like talking to myself. <laughs> well, that's that interesting. I like that. You've been doing it for a couple of years now, right? Yeah. Like on and off. I'll take breaks like when I'm feeling really insecure. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Um, for people who are listening to this, what is the main thing that you would want them to take away from this conversation? I think it's that eating disorders are treatable and that 
you're recognizing that something seems a bit off, it probably is off and you should trust your gut. I would say that you shouldn't feel ashamed and you shouldn't blame yourself for these thoughts that are happening or these changes in behaviors. Um, This sounds cliche, but reaching out for help in whatever way that may be, whether it's um, speaking to a family member or a friend. And I think there's so many resources on the internet too that you can go to and even fill out like a a screening question just to see if maybe um, some of the behaviors that you're having could be a bit problematic. So I think knowing that what you're going through is going to be temporary and that you can recover and bounce back from it. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I like that. <laughs> okay. I just have my last two questions that I ask everybody. Um, but before I get to those, I feel like we learned to ask this in journalism school, um, but is there anything that you wanted to add at all? Mm. It's interesting because I feel like I'm someone that loves questioning people back. So part of me wants to just like reciprocate <laughs> this whole podcast and like just ask all the questions you ask me and throw them back at you and be like, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I want to thank you too for talking about your eating disorder. And I think so many times like um, – eating disorders can be like interwoven with other mental illnesses. So it's almost sometimes hard to like piece apart, like, okay, what's depression? Like what's anxiety? Because they're all like snowball together into this big mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Humans were complicated. <laughs> so complicated. Mm-hmm. But hopefully we're getting better as we age, as we approach our thirties. <laughs> We're still young. We're still young. Yeah, we are. Life gets better as you get older. That's yeah. what my girl over says. So, <laughs> so I believe it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay. So my last two questions. Um, the first one is what is something you've been learning lately? I love that you also told me this in advance. So this <laughs> actually helps answer my question because my thing I've been working on learning is preparing less. So like my instinct is to like make a list and write about all the things I'm learning about and making sure it sounds very impressive or like I'm achieving something. So I'm really like trying to fight against that. Um, And kind of going back to what we were talking about before, like doing a lot of unlearning about all these perfectionistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. Hmm. learning to trust myself more and um not write down answers to every single thing (laughs) (laughs) I'm like laughing with you but I'm like yeah me too (laughs) I say this and then tomorrow I'll like write down what I'm about to order before calling the restaurant (laughs) it's it's little things though you know Mm -hmm. I feel like like acknowledging these things is like a good first step like yeah. acknowledging that like, oh, I am like holding on so tight to like these perfectionist ways, like being aware, like I wasn't aware of that before, but now I am. So yeah, progress. We've, come so we've come so far. Mm-hmm. It's true. That's a good answer. Um, and then the last question is what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far? I won't quote it exactly, but it's something along the lines of 
other people's opinions don't count because at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself. And that's the only opinion that matters. Oh, that's a good one. Don't know who said it, but it's something along those lines. And there's probably a lot of different ways of saying it. But I think every time I get triggered by something, by an image that I see, or even like comparing myself to previous versions of myself, Mm -hmm. um, you look back at photos or you get a bit nostalgic of like pre-pandemic times. um, it's, It's nice to like turn that lens off and just not think of yourself as on display for the rest of the world and know that you're making the decisions for yourself, which is so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so, so hard. Mm -hmm. That's good. I like that. I've heard another version of that quote. Um, It's other people's opinions of me are none of my business or something like that. (laughs) Ah, That's really good too. That's along the same lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's definitely like judgment and worrying about that is something I relate to big time. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Judgment too. It's like not just judging yourself, but judging other people. I realize I'm super judgy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everybody is. We all are. So yeah. <laughs> acknowledging it is the first step. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. This has been great. I almost feel like it's like an honorary um, therapy session to talk to someone who's like gone through not maybe like the exact same things, but sort of similar mm-hmm. in some senses. Yeah, for sure. It's nice to yeah, like talk to you and be like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not this like like mm-hmm. not so like perfectionist <laughs> girl. Like other people are like this too. It's hard, <laughs> and we're improving together. Yeah. And it's interesting to you just to think back to crazy five years ago when we were both in school mm-hmm. and how just we we're friends at the time, but I don't think like either one of us like realized what was going on under the surface. Like, yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Like I would have never thought like we'd be having these conversations like years later. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for talking to me. This was a great chat. Thank you. Hashtag the first MMJC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely use it when I post this. Please oh do. Gosh. Please do.